Oh, sweet. Okay, it wasn't just bandwidth thing. Well, if it is bandwidth, we will, but at the moment, I think it's fine. Alright, I'm ready. Yes, oh, are we? Jeez, sorry, I missed that bit. Um, okay. Welcome to LawPod. In today's episode, we mark the 100th episode of this podcast. I am Lauren Dempster, a lecturer here in the School of Law at Queen's University Belfast and LawPod's current director. Today, I am joined by Dr. Rachel Colleen and Richard Somerville, who together created LawPod. So could you begin by both introducing yourselves and your role in LawPod, please? Hi, I'm Richard Somerville, and I look after the production side of things. So my role is as the producer of LawPod. Lovely. I'm Rachel Colleen, I'm senior lecturer here in the School of Law, and I was LawPod's director from 2017 to 2020. Sometimes I host. Sometimes I've been a guest and all times I've been a fan. Great. Thanks, both of you. So as LawPod's creators, then, can you tell me a bit about how LawPod started and why you decided to create a podcast? So the initial idea was had fairly lofty origins because this was at the time where it was the aftermath of Brexit. And I remember Michael Gove talking about how the UK had had enough of experts and everyone was talking a lot about like fake news and lack of evidence-based policymaking and things like that. And I'd been thinking about all the great research that happens in the school and around the university and how researchers and academics sometimes struggle to make their work and research accessible to people beyond other academics. And so that thought path joined up with this deep love of podcasts. And I think at the time, I was very taken with Today in Focus, the Guardian's um, daily news update, which Richard will um, deride me for because he hates the Guardian. (laughs) Uh, And they would often feature experts discussing current events. So I think I wanted to do something similar that platformed academics and other guest speakers um, to discuss research and current events in an accessible way. But that desire was not matched by any kind of technical or podcasting expertise. So I needed Richard as a co-conspirator. So Richard, maybe you can reflect on why you chose to enable this scheme. Um, I guess I'm interested in podcasting and multimedia in general. In a previous life, I was involved in the creation of podcast training materials for NGOs. Really like the power of being able to give people a voice. I think that's, that's part of it. And I like that it's a fairly democratic medium, meaning that the entry level for people is quite low. So basically anybody can create a podcast. Yeah, so we once I had Richard on board, we pitched the idea to our head of school, Robin Hickey, and he raised the potential for student involvement. So we hadn't been against student involvement, but we hadn't really been thinking creatively at that time about how students could be part of this. So following those conversations, that's when we, I think that's when probably we started reaching out for a bit of funding and getting the equipment together and stuff and advertising. And in our first year, I mean, we had, we just let any student that wanted to be part of it, be part of it. So it was quite unwieldy, but it was uh, just a kind of petri dish, I guess. We were just exploring ideas and seeing how we got on. And then, yeah, that, that was it. It kind of took off and we've been doing it in some form ever since. Yeah, and I think whenever we started sitting down and looking at how we were going to develop it, we we saw a wider benefit than just promoting the research. And it's also a a vehicle for students to 
you know, as a as a pedagogical tool, it's it, it's pretty strong, and it gives students a really nice opportunity to ex- explore the subject matters that the research in the law school covers. Yeah, I think that's right. And we, after the first year, we did this survey with the students, and I think that's what came through really strongly was the benefits of podcasting, not just as a tool in terms of listening, but in terms of the creation of materials and how they became producers in their own right and engaged with material in a different kind of way from what they would do from their studies. So that's kind of strengthened as one of the themes of the podcast, I think. And that's one of the things that's been a real success about it. Great. Thank you both. I mean, even from my experience as director for just a few months, like the it's been really interesting seeing the students' skills develop and going off and researching their episodes and finding guests and that. It's been a really it's been really valuable to see that. Could you say a bit more about the role of students in LawPod? I think it might be helpful to kind of talk about the different roles that they've taken. So, I yeah, mean, they've been designed cool. to be involved in all stages of the podcast. So we would think of them as producers, researchers, uh, students often present, they generate ideas, and then increasingly they're involved in the promotion. So when I think about the role of students, I think about three different strands in the way that we think about law pods so the first is you know we have these episodes that are entirely student created from start to finish from their idea to the recording and increasingly now even involving in the editing stage and then we have things that come up you know that Richard and I and now you as well identify as a potential episode where students still play a role but you know maybe we pitch the idea to them and then we have these staff-driven driven episodes. So there's these three tiers, I guess, of student involvement. Well, what's been your reflections on the changing roles of students, Richard? I think it's definitely developed over the years. And I think um, with the advent of sort of COVID and the move to online, it's, it's provided students probably with a little bit more flexibility about who they can have as guests. And some of the ideas that they've come up with have been yeah, a little less traditional than than the sort of initial outputs of the podcast. Yeah, I think that's right. I remember um, the team that wanted to do the episode about the pensions, and that I think that was one of the first times we saw a student team going taking it in a direction that we hadn't seen yet. They wanted to do this more narrative form of episodes, and I think that was really an exciting moment. It, at least for me, it was an exciting moment to see how it could spark these different ways of exploring ideas. I think for me, LawPod has been an incredible opportunity in firstly hearing more from students and staff and building a connection within the School of Law. And secondly, to hear from external members. I have had the opportunity to interview lawyers or academics from other fields and LawPod gives a really great insight into a bit more about my own degree in the real world. So I decided to apply to join LawPod as I believe it's really important to disseminate and have a conversation about the law. I think now more than ever it is important to be able to have these discussions and to explain the law in a simple and accessible format and I really enjoy storytelling too so I think it's important to get the story behind laws and the the effect it has on people and out to the public so i think it's a really important um podcast play a really important role in disseminating law and in an accessible fashion so that was what really drew me to law pod so law pod has been going now for for several years 
And if you think back to those early episodes, are there any that particularly stand out in your memory? And could you tell us why? Yeah, so I think there's two early episodes that stood out for me when I was thinking about this. And it's two that were released one after another that are on the themes of research and activism. So the first is activism, international justice and sexual and gender-based violence. So I was on that one talking to Yasin Brunger and Ethna Dowds, two of our colleagues in the School of Law. And then the one that we released after that was activism, research and human rights. So that was Rachel Dixon, Ivanka Antova and Phil Scraton. And I think those two stand out for me because they were early examples of the kind of things that perhaps we had hoped to achieve because it was, you know, academics coming together, critically reflecting on a topic, but also going a bit further to critically reflect on their own work and what the role of being a researcher is in promoting broader societal change. So there was some nice reflective stuff on in there on privilege and power and like the limits of academia as a force of change. So I thought that was quite nice in providing a bit of insight into not just substantive issues, but the act of doing research. And then also the other guests uh, were five colleagues that I massively respect in terms of their work and their approach to their work. So I think it was quite nice to see them platformed in those early days of the podcast. What about you, Richard? What What's your early favourites? Yeah, there's, there's a couple of standard episodes for me as well. Um, one of them would be an episode that a PhD student led. Uh, he interviewed a researcher called Sarah Lagason, and they talked about the marketization of digital punishment and social control in the, in the US. I thought that was a fascinating episode, well worth catching. And she was also really interesting because she was a podcaster and she, I guess, a sociologist. She had gone through part of her research life interviewing other sociologists and then there was a really um powerful episode with Mozim Beg who was an ex Guantanamo detainee uh, and his colleague Mohammed Rabani and they talked to Dr Kevin Harty and the the episode sort of covered schedule 7 of the terrorism act 2000 prevent strategy, civil sanctions, anti-terrorism laws and Islamic ideas of justice. That's a fascinating discussion from a couple of years ago and it's still relevant because there's there's stuff going on even today about the, the government's prevent review. So I thought it was a great episode. I think that's a good point. And when we were, you know, Richard and I were talking about the early days of the podcast, we were really struck by um, the depressing amount of themes that remain resonant today. And so, you know, maybe for uh, new listeners, like I would still say there's quite a lot in the back catalogue that's really interesting. I think around the time that Mozambique was on, we also did an early one looking at domestic abuse and domestic abuse has been a theme we've returned to, I think three times now over the life cycle of LawPod. And, you know, it deserves that attention because it continues to be this prevalent ill in our society. And the most recent one with um, our colleague Rona that's talking about the impact of COVID leads on not nicely, again, like you were saying, it's not, not that it's nice, but it's powerful to see the way the conversation has uh, weaved its way through LawPod. So I was struck by that as well, the kind of resonance of these themes through through what is now four years. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, even from my experience of coming in, like having this sort of huge back catalogue, like there's so much rich content in there. And from a lecture perspective, I mean, the episode Richard just mentioned with Kevin Hardy and Mozambique, like I shared that with my counterterrorism and human rights students this week. And 
you know um it's a great one for them to listen to so yeah i mean having that archive there of, of content is, is really valuable so my next question how do you think LawPod has evolved over the years i guess there's a couple of ways it's changed so you know we were talking about student engagement before and i think i don't know that we took as much time in the early days to ensure that students were grouped around themes um and I think the introduction of a recruitment stage in LawPod has been really helpful for that in terms of actually making sense of what people want to achieve and making sure they're placed with other people that share those broad goals. Uh, and that's been across different levels, which I think is nice that the undergrads are, can be with postgrads and all, you know, it's all jumbled together, but they're united by a kind of um, thematic goal, I guess. And in, in terms of student engagement, I think a big development was the creation of a paid position. And I think it really hammered home the importance of adequate resourcing for this project. And it's, you know, it's, it's great that we have that. And I think that was nice as well in terms of offering a student a different kind of CV building experience beyond what we had so far. Um, so that, that would be one change. And then another evolution has been the introduction of series, which I really like. Uh, so this was actually did start off as part of LawPod. So we had the student focus series from the beginning. But as it's gone on, you know, we had the Meet the PhD series, we had the Criminology Matters uh, series, and then most recently, the Transitional Justice series that you were involved in, Lauren. And I think that's been nice in terms of its accessibility to diverse audiences, uh, because there's so much content. It's nice to have these series that clearly explore a theme in a bit more detail. Uh, And also just to encourage a platforming of um, diverse student colleagues' um, experiences and research. So that's been really nice. Alongside that, um, I, I think we're always sort of really aware of making sure that the students get really good value for the time that they spend doing it. So the pedagogical value, we wanted to ensure that, that students get to develop really good critical thinking skills, research skills, presentation skills. And part of that skills development was also de- developing sort of practical skills, allowing them to edit and to to sort of shape their episodes the way the way they wanted them to be shaped. And that that was more difficult prior to COVID and post-COVID because of the way we've had to shift everything online. It's actually made it a more accessible. It, it's actually made it more accessible for, for students to to get into the sort of nitty-gritty of editing and and shaping their podcasts and adding sound effects and all that sort of stuff. A lot of previously possible and we and they were offered training, but it's much more accessible now because of the, the software that we're using. So Richard, could you say perhaps a bit more about those changes you've had to make in response to COVID from a technical perspective? Yeah, in the beginning we were we were using recording studios on campus. Uh, so there was a logistical issue with getting guests on board. So you had to have people on campus and you had to take them to the recording studio and you sit them down and, you, you know, it's a controlled environment, which is great because you get to control every single aspect of, of the recording as it happens. Um, Post-COVID, we weren't able to bring people together in the, in the same way. So we shifted everything online. We use a platform called Zencaster for the recording. And that allows guests to be anywhere in the world. We've had podcasts with people in the States in real time. We've had guests from all over the UK. And it has opened it up for students to be able to invite people 
that they wouldn't necessarily have been able to invite. So that, that's been quite liberating, I think. And then on the editing side of things, we're using a piece of software called the script. And the script takes the audio files that we generate in Zencaster and creates a transcript in real time um, that, that, that shows the conversation in real time. Students get to edit by copying and pasting. So that's also liberating because they're not having to worry about what the waveform looks like and how they put things back together. It's more of a freeform process. So that I think that's been great as well. Yeah, when yeah, you compare definitely. that to the earlier days when we were trying to encourage editing, but, you know, with quite, not cumbersome software, but where you had to really work with the audio, it's just a, a world of difference being able to actually, like, negotiate a text document. Yeah, I think in the early days that there would have been, you know, maybe one student per team who might have expressed a little bit of interest in editing, but now it's it's more democratic, you know, and everybody can can access it and, and use tools that they're used to using in their, their everyday lives. I think that's the, the power of it. And that thing it does where you can take out the um the M's and the as, you know? So who knows if our it's listeners will hear easier. how actually <laughs> filled with verbal ticks we actually are. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, that's definitely a strength. It's like it's a, it seems like quite an intuitive program to use, and it's it's also nice knowing like when you're interviewing, you know, you can take out those little verbal ticks and stuff quite easily. So, what developments would you both like to see with LawPod in the years ahead? I don't think that's appropriate for me to answer, Lauren, as someone that's no longer director. But as soon as you've asked it, um, I think I really like the increased focus on thematic series. I think they're really fun. Um, they're enjoyable to be part of and they encourage diverse listenership. Um, and I think that's quite a interesting direction to go in, in terms of increasing the staff buy-in as well. Um, and then the innovation in terms of format that we had mentioned earlier and the way that students are increasingly willing to stretch the way that they explore a story, I think is really exciting as well. I'd love to see more of that that's difficult obviously we don't have a lot of time and um you know the students have their modules and things uh but i think that's really nice when it happens and i love it when they try and experiment with something a bit different exactly as we have not done today yeah i think i think the creative side of things does take more time i think that the script probably opens that up a little bit more the the platform now that the digital side of things opens that up and it gives people the space to to be a little bit more creative i think recently um you know, when we first sat down and talked about the podcast, Rachel, we, we talked about how maybe it was a vehicle for unpacking or unpacking some of the, the more thorny legal concepts of the day. You know, stuff that people talk about that, but don't necessarily understand fully. This semester, we've managed to put a team together who, who are exploring legal concept, concepts. We have a legal lexicon team who are, who are breaking down legal concepts. And their first episode was released, what, a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's it's a nice thing to see, isn't it? Um, I, you know, it's been an interesting experience in terms of matching expectation with what's possible, because I think we had a lot of ideas at the very start. And although not all of them were possible in those first couple of years, we start to see them trickle through of their own accord now. And it shows how it's developed off its own back in some ways, just by learning year on year and encouraging students yeah there's definitely a synergy that has that as a reason yeah exactly yeah yeah so yeah 
Lauren, what about you? You're the new fresh blood. What do you have planned for LawPod? Yeah, I mean, in terms of developments, I think, as you say, like the having the series has been great. I mean, obviously, it's you had suggested that we have this transitional justice series and it turned out to be like a really rewarding thing to record, like even, you know, from a sort of selfish perspective, like doing those interviews. I mean, a lot of the participants were colleagues who I work with regularly, but it's very rare that you get to sit down and have 30 or 40 minutes where you actually talk to them in depth about their research. So I really loved recording those and it's really great having that there as something that can, you know, tick over and develop in years to come. You know, we can maybe add, you know, one or two different um, episodes to that series each semester. In terms of the Legal Lexicon series as well that Richard mentioned, I think in terms of developments, I like the idea of having quite long lasting themes that we can come back to. So obviously, Rachel, you mentioned previously, like episodes on uh, issues to do with activism have been there since the early days of LawPod. And now we have the specific student team looking at law and activism. And I think this is such a powerful time to hear from young people with a real interest or direct involvement in activism. And I think LawPod pl- provides a real platform for that. So for instance, this, it came out, I think it was recorded last semester, but it came out this semester, our law and activism team did this episode on the Black Lives Matter protests here in Belfast and racism in Northern Ireland more broadly. And it was a really powerful music, episode. Then you may as well be opening yourself up to some sort of verbal abuse or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because you can, you can nearly expect it because that's the tone of, you know, society here. And that's what, you know, really blows my mind when people can turn around and say that, oh, no, racism doesn't happen here because it does. And, you know, we experience it every single day and we're aware of it every single day. So for somebody to be able to say that racism doesn't happen is just because they're privileged enough to never have to experience it in their life. I think, obviously, the the, the ability to record episodes now online, as Richard mentioned, like that really opens up scope in terms of interviewees and our our students can, you know, think really ambitiously when we think when they think about who they might want to target. And I mean, Rachel, you touched on, you know, the fact for, for years there's sort of been different ideas of, of format for episodes. And I think it's just been really impressive. Like the students we interviewed for LawPod this year came forward with some really creative ideas. Like we're doing our first episode soon that's going to be like a sort of radio play based on on the facts of a, a case. So that's a really interesting way to to look at a legal case and hopefully our students will find it beneficial so yeah I mean I guess in terms of future developments yeah seeing what online can do for us opening up the possibility for more series and perhaps having these key themes that run through as a thread I think for me would be the three things of interest that was a very long response god you can talk about LawPod all day well why wouldn't um, you it's great yeah <laughs> yeah and I, I think just on the activism thing I was thinking about the um, Extinction Rebellion episode as well that we did, the eco-activism and how that links in with previous episodes that we've done around environmental issues and just, you know, the, the way it, when you work on a project for a long time like this, you see what is important, I guess, you know, and what, what students will choose to keep cycling back to and what staff keep wanting to talk about you start to see these kind of thematic things emerge all on their own. And I think that's that's really interesting to see once you start to get this archive and, you know, 100 episodes in, it's been interesting to see the topics that come up time and again. So, Rachel, you mentioned that we're 100 episodes in now. So looking back at all of those episodes, do you, um, and yourself, Richard, as well, do you have favourite episodes or episodes that stand out in the mind? 
yeah i don't think i could ever have a one favorite episode it would be too unfair to all my other favorite episodes but um i think there's three three that i wanted to highlight i think in this context because there's the favorite one that i've been part of which if i honestly think about it is the one that i did with my friend and colleague amanda kramer which was on brexit justice and security she's a great guest she made a really complex, pretty bleak topic, really accessible and interesting. It's not something that gets talked about enough at all um, or thought about enough at all. And at the time, she and her research team had been getting a bit of flack for you know, being Ramoners, for highlighting these really real challenges associated with uh, justice and security post-Brexit. And I think she did a really good job of explaining the value of independent academic research, uh, particularly in contested political spaces. And she did a great job of, um, you know, basically highlighting that if you do the research and you get the answer, you have to share what that answer is, even if it's politically um, not ready to be heard, I guess. So that that's one of my favorites that I was a host on. I think my favorite student episode is the... 12th student focus episodes so a bit of an older one and it was called women in law with axiom managed solutions so it's two of our students lucy bill and emily dickinson and i think it just was it just turned out really warm uh, there was loads of student ownership over that episode they did a really good job of discussing some of the challenges and opportunities for young women in the legal profession they brought in interesting guests they created quite a conversational format that made it was it made it more engaging to listen to even if you know you're you're not a young woman looking to get into the legal career but just in terms of its accessibility for a wider audience so I thought that was great it was early days and I think I remember Richard and I both just being really pleased that they had created this this nice episode you know basically off their own back but then overall I think my favorite episode has to be Peter Doran interviewing George Monbiot um, because it's just two passionate advocates for the natural world, talking about things that matter very much to me. There's some great critiques in there of like neoliberalism. They talk about why we shouldn't have billionaires. There's like discussion of the power of narrative and political and social movements and the need for politics of belonging and all this like wonderful stuff. And I just love George Bombio. So they get a shout out as well, just for being great. Ecological terms, I think we've got a fairly good idea of what restoring order looks like overthrowing them well you know already we're seeing some very clear demands you know so we we uh, and one of them i would put forward would be the uh, a crime of ecocide championed by the great polly higgins who um, has been trying to make um, fill the gap in uh, international law international human what about you richard yeah, I, I think student focus episodes are really important. And the PhD episodes, which we started last year, are also really strong in the sense that it gives PhD students a, a space to explore their research in a less formal manner than writing. Um, there's been some really enlightening episodes about Brexit and also about Good Friday Agreement and, Good Friday Agreement and subsequent developments. One episode that stands out for me was one that I sat in and recorded, um, which was after a conference that Mark Hama had organized, um, Global Norms in a Divided World, and he had a conversation with Professor Hans Lindahl, who's Chair of Legal Philosophy at Tilburg University, and I think he, he's also affiliated to St. Mary's in London as well. They had a sort of really broad and wide-ranging discussion about the importance of jurisprudence um, as an underpinning to sort of the study of law, and how, 
how it's used as a tool for critical thinking and reflection. The, the conversation was was really broad. They talked about sort of legal norms and who sets those norms, how, how law sets boundaries um, within those norms, and those boundaries can be temporal, spatial, subjective, and material, and the effects of what follows on from that. I just thought that was a fascinating episode. One of the things I, I, I tell my, my students in the law course um, is um, the very first uh, week I tell them, you know, you guys are theorists. And their eyes turn a bit glassy because I say, you know, you cannot be a legal, you cannot engage with legal doctrine without, in fact, theorizing about the law. So that whether you want to or not, you are engaging with philosophical questions. And what I've discovered is that um, lawyers are wonderful philosophers as long as they engage with the law. They become wretchedly bad philosophers when they begin to quote Hobbes and Rousseau and Kant and Hegel and whoever, simply because they would use, usually use these quotes as authoritative quotes <laughs> to, to, uh, uh, to subtend an argument. Excellent. Thanks, both of you. What about you, Lauren? You must have a um, favourite from what you've listened to so far. I mean, since taking over, it's tricky because I have really loved being director of LawPod for this time, and it's such a it's become a really rewarding part of part of my work. Um, so yeah, I I can't pick an individual favourite in terms of what we've recorded. I mean, Rachel, you touched on one of these already. We have had three episodes now that look at various aspects of sort of the impact of COVID-19 and as much as COVID is in the news every day and, and rightly so. So we had one that looked at the implications for privacy of track and trace um, apps um, with Professor Dahi McShee and we had one with Professor Heather Conway which looked at the impact of COVID-19 on funeral practices and the effects of the restrictions related to COVID on how we would normally mark a death and then we had the episode with Rona McQuig, um, Dr. Rona McQuig, Rachel, which you already mentioned on domestic violence. And I think drilling down into those very sort of fundamental impacts of this pandemic that perhaps we hear less about was something that I, I'm really glad that we explored as, as a law pod team. In terms of, of some of the other episodes we've had, I mean, Richard's always already mentioned that the legal lexicon team, they produced this episode, which was sort of a breakdown of parliamentary sovereignty. And that was just... To me, that seemed like a podcast was such a great vehicle. I mean, as, as you mentioned before, Rachel, for unpicking these fundamental terms. You know, we teach our first years about parliamentary sovereignty, about rule of law, about these big key foundational terms. And it was really great to delve into one of those. Um, and I guess individually, one of the ones I really did enjoy listening to was our law and storytelling team. One of our master students, Seymour Smith, recorded an interview with Professor Colin Harvey on um, the constitutional question of the future of, of Northern Ireland and, and the Republic of Ireland. And for me, I mean, LawPod, all our student teams, it's been a real opportunity just to see our students shine. Like they've come through with great ideas. They've worked really hard together as, as teams. They've put in the research, they find good guests, and that's been a real treat. And I think that, that episode on the constitutional conversation for me, it was just great to see a student who's really passionate about a topic engage in this informed and important uh, conversation so yeah I cheated I named like many episodes there but that, yeah that's but there is that's lovely it's nice hearing your thoughts about it too and if anything now I just feel guilty about any single episode that we didn't mention because you know they're generally all wonderful and I just didn't want to reveal my own bias by just talking endlessly about the criminology and transitional justice series but honestly every episode in those 
series as a cracker there's just yeah there's such a range it's a great thing to be part of yeah yeah it's nice to see people outside of the school and further afield picking those episodes up as well and sharing them with their students and other universities yeah and I think like Rachel like that point in terms of you know thinking about future developments like you've already mentioned like we have this archive there now and I think that's something that we can think about going forward is how you know we can pull out there's so many good quality episodes in there so you know we can maybe make more use of that in terms of promoting um some of the episodes that we've done in the past and and taking those to a wider audience okay so um we're coming on to our final question so um Rachel and Richard, from your experience of, of starting LawPod and developing it for several years, for any of our listeners who are thinking about starting a podcast, would you have any words of wisdom? Yeah, don't do it. He doesn't mean that. He loves LawPod really. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, it's, a, it's a large undertaking. It demands a lot of time and energy and effort, um, as we're all aware, I guess, Um I don't know. There, there's a load of there's a load of stuff that that I would say that you should do and stuff that you shouldn't do. Um, I I don't know what the top one would be. Be creative, maybe. You know, and if you're involving students, yeah, give them a little bit of space to to be creative, but also be there to support. Um, I think ultimately something that we discovered quite quickly was running a weekly podcast is is quite a stretch in terms of having to turn around an episode a week. So be realistic about about what you can possibly do. I th- yeah, I would definitely agree with that last one. Um, I think we massively underestimated the time and effort it would take when we started. Like in 2017-18 and 18-19, it was a huge chunk of my job, you know, and a really, really enjoyable part of the job. Um, and I didn't regret a single minute spent on it, but a huge undertaking for sure. And I think the other thing, just which is a bit boring, but super important, is getting some um, cashola, you know, because if we hadn't got that initial grant from the Queen's Annual Fund and if we hadn't been able to secure the law school support in the years following, I don't know if it would have survived. Um, So I think those kind of really mundane questions of how much time do you have and how much do you have in terms of resources are super important. And then the only other thing beyond being creative, which I fully agree with, might be um, to have a plan. Because I think like Richard and I have lurched from idea to idea over the course of particularly the initial years uh, and so much trial and error was involved and that's fine. And I think it's reached a quite a steady place now in terms of how it's run and how we engage with students. And Lauren, you're very um, diligent and careful detail-oriented type of, type of person so that's been really great to have a different kind and a slightly less chaotic director has been a really good shift um, but I think if we could go back potentially we would have done even more whiteboard drawings than we did in terms of how we wanted to start off. Quite quite possibly I think I think Lurch is is unfair I do think that it was a process there's a process of iteration that has happened and we you know we've we've tried and tested things over the past four years and the ones that haven't worked we've got rid of and the ones that have worked we've we've sort of built upon and and honed um, but yes definitely planning planning is a large part of it and certainly without the support of the law school we wouldn't be anywhere close to where we are now so that that that's been crucial. Great. Thanks, both of you. And I will say that the only reason that my approach comes across as organised is because you and Richard had it operating basically as a 
well-oiled machine <laughs> you had dealt with all of the the key challenges and figured out the best way forward and so that's the atmosphere I came into it's been a good process overall though I mean it has been an enjoyable process and oh it has. I've got a lot out of it it's been fun yeah for sure for sure I just can't resist the urge to be a tiny bit self-deprecating but actually you're right like you know the iterative learning was just part of the largely enjoyable process Thank you both, Rachel and Richard, for sharing your reflections and thank you for creating LolPod. It's a wonderful thing. Becoming director has been a total joy um, and I'm really happy that you set it up all those years ago and it's it's great to see where it is now and to hear a little bit more about the challenges but also ultimately to see that you produce something really great um, coming through those various difficulties. You have been listening to LolPod, an informed take on current events, brought to you by the law students and staff at Queen's University Belfast. This episode was produced by Richard Somerville. Our theme music is by Colonel Chocolate and the Justice Triangle. LawPod is funded by the Queen University Law School. Thanks to Rachel Colleen and Richard Somerville. Please follow us on Twitter at QUBLawPod. For more information, you can also visit our website, lawpod.org, and please have a look in the show notes for more information about the topics covered today. You can find us on iTunes or anywhere else.